You can open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Today the whole sermon is on the mission statement of Anchor Church. Uh, I've never preached a sermon on the mission statement of our church, which is kind of surprising. It was one of those like, oh, I probably should have done that. (laughs) Parts of the mission statement, but not the whole thing. So the notes of the sermon today are our entire uh, mission statement of the church. And if we had to make a list of the greatest missions that, that mankind has ever launched, what would make the list of like being part of something that's so great and, and, and so amazing? I put a, a slide together here. Here are some of the greatest missions that have ever happened. Maybe you could have been on Magellan's ship, the first person to circumnavigate the entire globe. Wow. Or Lewis and Clark. Uh, you could have traveled west and discovered the, the entire western two-thirds of the United States of America. Never, no one had ever seen grizzly bears before. What an amazing adventure of meeting new Indian tribes and trying to make it all the way to the sea. Or D-Day, uh, going to try and push back uh, the, the Axis in World War II, or maybe the moon landing. What would it feel like to be part of great missions? And of course, who could forget these brave pilots who took part in this amazing mission to defeat the dark side. Hey, there's great missions out there. And, and people have had the chance to step up at times in history and say, yes, I will go. I will be a part of that mission. And then something amazing unfolds. But hey, listen, I have news for you. Uh, there is no greater mission than the mission that Jesus Christ has given his church. Uh, The mission that we are on, that Jesus launched to save souls from hell forever, is bigger than the biggest thing on earth. Even being a small part of this mission makes you part of the greatest mission that has ever started on the planet. Today I want you to see that Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's building his church And he's inviting you and me to go into the world and to transform it so that there will be an eternal difference at the end of our journey. I'm inviting you to join him in his mission through the local church so that lives will be changed forever. Wow. Well, let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Jesus, we pray that you would just fill our hearts with joy. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with zeal for your church for your kingdom, for your glory, and help us to look around and to see that the earth is falling into darkness and that there desperately needs to be a bright, blazing light coming out of the church, that your glory needs to come down from heaven so that the earth would know that you live. Jesus, we pray that you would help us as a church to be on mission, and we pray that because of it, the world will be, just, will be different forever. And we pray this, O Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so our mission statement starts with this phrase, to glorify God. So you can write that down, to glorify God. The first point doesn't come out of the text. We're getting into the text and learning how to do this one thing, which is to glorify God. Uh, When I lead our step two class, we present our mission statement, and um, I say, circle that word glory in your book. So you can go ahead and do that. Circle that word glory right now, to glorify God. God. And then put an exclamation point above it. To, and then put three arrows pointing to the exclamation point. 
to and then put a star next to the three arrows, okay? The, the biggest word in our mission statement is glorify, to glorify. Most people can't define God's glory or what it means to glorify God, which is shocking because God's glory is the reason you have breath in your lungs right now. It's the reason God gave you life, to glorify him. Most people, if you ask them, what is God's glory, they don't have an answer. What does it mean to glorify God? I don't know. They're missing it. And here's the thing. The church exists to manifest God's glory in Jesus Christ. Churches can miss this too. And in missing this, you can miss everything. So what does it mean to glorify God? Well, Isaiah 43, 7 says this. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my, what does it say? Glory, whom I formed and made. God made everybody for his glory. John 17, 5, Jesus says this. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Hey, let that soak in for a minute. Jesus says to the Father, glorify me. And he's talking about the glory he shared with the Father when? When? When I was growing up, there was a movie called The Land Before Time. It was all about dinosaurs, a cartoon, right? Very nice. How about we go way before that to the point where there was nothing? And guess what? Jesus is there. Jesus claimed to be eternal. Eternal and co-equal in glory with God Almighty. Do you realize who he is? Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is why Jesus is the key to God's glory in the church. Hebrews 1.3 He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's omniscience. Jesus is eternal. He's manifesting the full radiant glory of God. That's why he came down. So to glorify God, we need to understand we were made for that. We need to understand Jesus came down to bring that to earth. Therefore, jot this down. We are a vertical church. We are a vertical church. When it comes to how we do church, we look up to see the glory of God, where Jesus is. That's what it says in the book of Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. To glorify God, to look up. We're a vertical church. You know Psalm 115.1, right? Not to us, but to your name, be the glory. Do you know that churches have to make a decision? We have to make a decision to look up and to do everything that we do to the glory of God. And if as a church we don't make that decision, we don't have that conviction that we are here for God's glory, then we are going to start looking horizontally. And we're going to get very distracted and we're going to get perhaps even divided over horizontal realities when we're not governed by the vertical glory of God. This happens in churches all the time. If we don't start with a vertical aim, we can become horizontal, consumed by fear of man, 
fear of offending the world, a desire to be hip, relevant, or PC, to be spiritually shallow, or to become lukewarm on vital, clear spiritual issues, to be distracted or divided with competing agendas, or consumed by worldly controversies. It happens all the time. But listen, if we look up and we gather knowing we are here to bring glory to God in everything, then, then God is the one who governs every single thing that happens in the church. We strive to be a vertical church. And again and again, we are going to have to lift our gaze up and say, we are here for God's glory. We are here for God's glory. Jot this down. What does it mean to glorify? Well, to glorify means to display God's presence, power, and provision. This is what it means. The Bible is clear. You can't see God's fullness of his glory and live. You can't. It's, an, it's a fatal encounter. So God has ways where he can demonstrate his glory on earth in a manner that doesn't wipe out the universe. Therefore, as a church and as individuals, we must strive to live to glorify God. That means to display His presence, His power, and His provision. That's why we're here. A young woman visited our church a few weeks ago, and as we were getting to know her, um, Lauren asked her, well, what, what brought you to Anchor Church? And she kind of sighed, and she said, I need to find God again. I need to find God again. And I think what she said is how a lot of people are feeling right now. I need to find God. I need to find God. And that's what we're here for. So people can come here and encounter God in Jesus Christ. That God's presence and His power and His provision can be manifested. And how do we play a part in that? Well, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts. Wow, now we're, we started, right, with God creating us for his glory. Then we were before time with Jesus and the Father. Then Jesus came down with the radiance. Now it's in us. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We want to glorify God. That happens when Jesus Christ changes a life and comes inside of a person because they're saved. Then a bunch of those people get together and the radiance of the glory of God is coming from within us and shining all around us. That's why we're the light of the world. That's why we're a city on a hill. That's how the world starts to change. Do you remember what Moses asked God during a pivotal time in the wilderness? Show me your glory. Wow. And I hope you are gripped by this reality right now. You were born to vividly display the greatness of your maker. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. I don't know what you're chasing in this world, but the Ecclesiastes series told us that we are wasting our time, right? Chasing the wind. We are here to vividly display the greatness of our maker. He's with us, and we are proof of that. He's changed us, and we can show you that. Then you get a bunch of people together, and the church is supposed to be a vivid display of the greatness of God because of what he's done to provide for us, to protect us, to transform us. 
That's why you were born. That's why you were born again. That's why the church was born at Pentecost, to glorify God. So number one, we are here to glorify God, to vividly display his presence, his power, and his provision. Well, how do we do that? Number two, jot this down, by fulfilling the Great Commission, by fulfilling the Great Commission. That's how we do that. And that brings us into Matthew 28. We're actually going to start in verse 16, and here's what it says. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's unpack this. Here's a picture of Galilee where they went. Uh, they went to Galilee, and this was 75 miles north of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem's down there on the south. And Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, is up there. It's about a 75-mile trip. It was a planned rendezvous. Jesus told them after the resurrection to meet me up there in Galilee. So Jesus is alive. And he's meeting with his disciples here. And Jesus appeared after his resurrection for 40 days. Uh, at one point, he appeared to over 500 people. This could have been, this could have been it. And so we see here is the central command is to make disciples in verse 19. That's the imperative, to make disciples. Uh, and to be a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do as a church. Uh, Jesus rose again and he met with his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Can you imagine the horrifying thought of if all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to some wicked people who've ruled on earth in the past? Imagine. Imagine if a wicked person had somehow grabbed all authority in heaven and on earth. What would that person have done next? It's a horrifying thought. What does Jesus do? He rallies his followers together and says, I'm sending you. Let's go change the world. He immediately delegates. He puts us to work. He empowers us. It's really remarkable. So when it comes to the Great Commission, we have to understand what's going on here. Jesus rose again, and he's sending us to change the world through his power. Here's a quote by C.S. Lewis, which is really awesome. Any enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I like that. He's sending us out. Go, go, go. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? There are four major areas of discipleship that we focus on. They're all found here in the Great Commission and throughout the New Testament. You can jot this down. It starts with this. We're becoming disciples who worship Christ. Worship Christ. That's where it begins. It starts when you know who Jesus is and you worship him because you realize he is the divine son and savior of the world. Verse 16 is powerful. It says, now the 11 disciples. 11? I thought there were 12. Why are there 11? Who's missing? Years. Years Judas was around Jesus. The treasurer. The first treasurer of God's people in the New Testament. Never worshipped Christ. He wanted the bag. He wanted the bag. And when he realized the bag was going away, he wanted one last fill up. Crushed him. Destroyed him. Let him to take his own life. He was a traitor. 
He was, a, he was an imposter. Now there's 11. Do you worship Christ? Doesn't matter if you've been in church your whole life. Doesn't matter if you've held positions or offices or even been a pastor. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Here's the question. Do you worship him in here? That's where it begins. Judas is out. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Do you see that? Some doubted. The word here means to have two minds. It's not good. When faced with the evidence, they were still undecided. This is not a commendable place to be for these folks who are still doubting. Jesus is patient with Thomas, right? Uh, Jesus was patient, and he wants us to get answers to our questions. But this is a lamentable place to be where some are worshiping him, which is what it's time to do, but some still weren't convinced. Hey, where are you with Jesus? Do you worship him? Do you worship him? Or have you been faced with the evidence and you're still undecided? The word worship means to adore on one's knees. I love that. To adore on one's knees. This is not just a fan club. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you know what that means? That means Jesus has all legal power to act over all the universe. It alludes to Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Jesus claims to be the most powerful being in the universe and the rightful ruler of all, including you. Have you humbled yourself? Have you cast yourself down? And do you adore on your knees the person of Jesus Christ, who's the rightful ruler of creation? The one who died and rose again and who now rules heaven. Are you a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ? Worship him. We become worshipers and then we grow in worship throughout every season of life. To worship means to show up. You know, you don't wake up Sunday morning and say, well, are we going to church today? I wouldn't miss it. I'm going. If I'm healthy and if I'm in town 52 Sundays a year, I've got limited time to sing with all my heart to the Lord who saved me and rose again. I'm going to be there and I'm going to throw my whole soul into it. Do you worship Christ this is a great question to ask when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door because they'll tell you a lot of spiritual stuff. One Jehovah's Witness said, we've got the these and the thous in our Bible too. They can sound convincing. But I'll say to them one question. I'll say, do you worship Jesus? And they'll say, no. Because they don't. They don't. Sometimes I'll show in their own book, Revelation 5. I'll read how every creature in heaven, under heaven, under the earth, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and glory and power. I said, why is everyone in your book worshiping Jesus but you? They don't have an answer, but they don't worship Christ. We do. We worship Christ. Come into his presence, the Bible says, and bring an offering. That's why giving is so important, because God loves it when his children give cheerfully to him. That's what makes him feel loved. Come into his presence, bring an offering. At our previous church, I'll never forget a woman named Rhonda who had stage four breast cancer. She was a survivor. She made her way back to church and the worship center was on the second floor. And I was behind her as she was slowly, one step at a time, pulling herself up to get to church. Pulling herself up to get to church. And she got in there with what strength she had left and she sang with whatever she could muster. And I thought to myself, man, I'm never going to let a stomach ache keep me from church again. Look at her. Worship. Hey, do you worship Christ? We are becoming disciples who worship Christ. Some worshiped, but some doubted. Jot this down. We also walk with Christ. We worship Christ. We walk with Christ. He says, go. 
Go, we're going somewhere. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When your walk begins, you're baptized. And we practice believer's baptism. So we give you an opportunity to get baptized. And maybe you're thinking about getting baptized. But we give you a chance to share your story of when your faith began. And this is where your walk with Jesus began, where you got saved. Uh, Maybe like me, you were raised in a church tradition where you were taught this whole life is a process of you trying to do enough good. And then at the end, there's going to be some crisis where you're judged on whether or not you can get into heaven. Maybe you were raised like me. Do you know that's backwards? Do you know that's not the way it works? The crisis is right here, right now at the beginning. Do you worship Christ? If so, you're forgiven of all of your sins. By grace you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Then the first step you take, you are saved forever. Do you know how much relief that brings into your life? When you don't have to find a way to earn your way to God, you can walk with Him and delight in Him because He loves you. Have you recognized that? We walk with Christ. We walk with Christ. It said 11 disciples. Judas is out. Peter is in? Didn't he deny Jesus? Three? I never knew him! And Jesus restored him, and Peter's walking with Christ after that? After shouting at the top of his lungs and calling curses down on himself? He's still walking with Christ? Yeah, because it's by grace. It's not by our report card. We walk with Christ. Do you realize Jesus says here, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am, one of the great I am statements of Scripture, with you always. He claims to be omnipresent. How could Jesus keep this promise? I am with you, all of you, always to the end of the age. He he claims to be omnipresent. So he claims to be eternal, omnipresent. This is God the Son. I am with you always to the end of the age. This means that we are walking with Christ. And it also means that we are learning how to please him. It says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. All that I've commanded you. So learning the word of God, learning the teachings of Christ, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So our walk is living in line with God's word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. That's why we're here, to hear God's word proclaimed. That's why we come to small groups, to grow in the word of God. Hey, do you feel like your faith is taking you nowhere? A lot of people have faith, but they're not going anywhere. They're stuck. Here's a picture of a car that's not going to take you anywhere. Check it out. That car is going to take you nowhere. Why? Because they tipped it up in a house and turned it into one of the coolest bookshelves you'll ever see. But it's not going to take you anywhere. For a lot of people, this is faith. It's just knowledge. I know things about God. I heard some things. I learned some lessons. It's not taking them anywhere. They're not going anywhere with God. It's just like one picture from one past class they have, and that's that. But we are walking with Christ, moving forward with him. We challenge each other to set spiritual goals each year. I don't know how you're doing with your spiritual goals, your Bible reading plan. I'm in Exodus right now, went through Genesis Went through Exodus, went through the Psalms. Where, do you have a Bible reading plan? Are you moving forward in your faith? We're becoming disciples who worship Christ. Some worship, some doubted. And walk with Christ. We baptize a disciple. We teach a disciple to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And he's with us through everything. Worship, walk. Jot this down. We also work for Christ. We also work for Christ. 
Jesus is sending us. Go. Go. I'm with you. Go. We we are the distribution plan for both the truth and the grace of Christ. Some have called it the air war of getting the truth of Christ out and the ground war of getting the love of Christ out, right? Uh, Boots on the ground. But we're getting the love and the truth of Christ out there. We work for him. Go, I'm sending you. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. You were born again to serve Christ. Now you can, whether you do a small job, medium job, or a big job, it's all for the king of glory. And so there's no such thing as a small assignment because you reflect his kingdom here on earth when you serve him. Sometimes, though, a great opportunity arises where people have to make a great sacrifice to be a part of it. That happened in our church in 2017. Hurricane Harvey came through and demolished Houston. And we watched, uh, as we had a partner church down there, and we watched, remember Hurricane Harvey in in Houston, how uh, many residents were trapped in their homes with no power, they couldn't get food. uh, And and so people were just grabbing boats, and they they were floating down these streets of some Uh, in some suburban areas, really nice houses, getting people out of their houses to go and get them food or medical attention. And so I had breakfast with a guy from our church, and we were just heartbroken. We said, this is crazy. Like, can we do anything? Can we do anything? And there at breakfast, we said, we got to go. We got to send a team. Why wouldn't we? Let's send a team tonight. And so I sent out this big text message to a bunch of guys in our church, and I said, hey, we want to send a team down to Houston tonight. To help. We're going to drive through the night, and we're just going to go help however we can. Whatever needs to happen, we're going to go down there to help. We've got a partner church down there. We're going to go. And so these guys woke up that morning, went to work, didn't have any clue that this text was going to come out. I didn't know if anybody was going to say yes. By that night, here's a picture of the guys who, uh, in the middle, there's a picture of the guys who showed up to answer the call and to go down to Houston to help out. And they ended up there on the right, down there, gotten a few houses and just helping people, serving people however they could, tied into our partner church down there because they saw the need and they realized they could be a light. Not one of those men woke up that day realizing they were going to drive through the night to Houston that day. But they said yes to the opportunity. They still talk about this. That's one of their their greatest memories. Hey, listen, church is not a cruise ship. I hope you're not here to get comfortable. Uh, Church is a battleship. I hope you're here to find your place right? To go destroy some things that the enemy is trying to build. I hope you're saying, hey, I want to serve with honor wherever you put me to work. Uh, We want to work for Christ. And then jot this down, we want to witness for Christ. We want to go and baptize people, win souls to Christ by telling them about Jesus. So we're going to proclaim Jesus Christ, and then they're going to get baptized and get saved. We want to witness for Christ. That means we want to grow in sharing our faith with courage and confidence And I want you to learn how to have better spiritual conversations with people who are not saved. I have so many stories of sharing my faith. I've shared my faith with a Muslim in a mosque. I shared my faith with an Uber driver in Romania after a Bon Jovi concert that I just discovered while we were there. You never know when you're going to have an open door. There were... um, there were four Jehovah's Witnesses in a Starbucks once that started asking me questions while I was doing sermon prep. There was a rumble in the Starbucks. We had a great conversation about Jesus Christ right there. All right. And then I love it when people in our church share their faith. A woman came up to me two weeks ago and she said, there might be 30 Mormons coming to church in the second service, just so you know. What? 
yeah, they're in town doing work. And I talked to one of them and I invited them to our church. I love that. They didn't come. They might still be in town. I want you to be courageous and confident in sharing your faith with others. Okay, so the Great Commission, this could be a sermon in and of itself. We want to glorify God. How do we do that? By fulfilling the Great Commission. What does that mean? Clearly what we see here is we uh, become disciples who worship Christ. We realize who Jesus is. We walk with Christ. We learn to obey everything that he's commanded us. We work for Christ. We go to make disciples. And we witness for Christ. We help others to find him so that they can get baptized. That is how we glorify God. So, number one, to glorify God. Number two, by fulfilling the Great Commission. And then how else do we glorify God? Number three, in the spirit of the Great Commandment in the spirit of the great commandment. Uh, So we're going to turn over to Mark chapter 12 for this second part. Turn to Mark chapter 12. This is the great commandment in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 to 31. Jesus was given a pop quiz. Remember pop quizzes when you were in school? The teacher gets up there and suddenly they're like, pop quiz! And you're like, no! I didn't even have a chance to prepare! And then you've only got two options, right? Find a way to cheat. Uh, I wasn't saved. Okay, find a way to cheat or, or really get a bad grade. Those are your only two options. Uh, Jesus had a pop quiz here. One of the scribes came upon them, hearing the dispute and seeing that he had answered him well, asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Pop quiz. Now, they were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get him in trouble. And this was a big one. According to the scribes, there were 613 different commandments to choose from. 613. Okay, Jesus had to pick the best one, and boy, was there a heated debate over which one was the best. Some of you like to get good grades on tests. Am I right? Maybe you were a straight-A student. Uh, Jesus was given this pop quiz, and he had a 1 in 613 chance of getting it right. What Jesus does is he quotes the Shema what the Jews call the Shema. This is the central core doctrine of their faith in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 4-5. Then he also includes Leviticus 19, 18. In other words, he goes all the way back. Uh, this is, this is 3,500 years ago from our day today. 3,500 years ago, Jesus is pulling up this divine wisdom from the Scripture. Isn't it cool to know that when you look into our mission statement, our mission statement as a church has the Great Commission which is the call in the New Testament to go and change the world. And then it has basically the commissioning uh, doctrine of faith in the Old Testament, uh, right? Which is Israel's uh, statement or creed of faith. So our mission statement goes all the way back thousands of years. That gives it spiritual roots. So what does Jesus say? Jesus answered the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him to love him with all the heart and all the understanding and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Test over! In the spirit of the great commandment, what does that mean? Well, jot this down. We're becoming a community that loves God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
heart, mind, soul, and strength. It shouldn't be lost on you that they asked him, which law, which rule is the most important to follow? And he said, love. Love. It's not about the rules. It's about the relationship. Love. Love the Lord your God. One God, the right God, the true God, not any old God, not every God, the God. Love, this calls us to a monotheistic faith in a holy God. Love with everything, heart, mind, soul, strength. Some, some of you are here today for a variety of reasons because you have to be, have to be. It's obligation. That's not love. It's not love, but God wants it to be love. He loves you and he wants you to love him. He wants there to be love between you and him. He wants you to know him, to serve him. When it comes to the motivation, worship, walk, work, witness, 1 Corinthians 13 is clear. If I do not love, I'm nothing. If it's not flowing out of a heart of love for God, listen, friends, listen. When we as a church stand before a holy God to give an answer for how we've done church together, if we've forgotten to love, we've forgotten everything. And we don't just get a B or a C or a D or even an F. We get a zero. Nothing. Wow. Love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I learned a word recently, and this is going to be our word of the day. I want you to remember this concept, and this word will help you. There's a word that's one of the longest words in the English language. There's more letters in this word than there are letters in the alphabet. All right, I'm going to put it up here. And the word is this. Phloxenos and nihilopilification. Let's all say it together. Phloxenos and nihilopilification. Come on, you're not even going to try? Phloxenos and nihilopilification. Maybe we should have a spelling test on this word in a few minutes, okay? Longest words in the English language, and here's what it means. It means the act of estimating, considering, deciding that something is worthless. So here's what I would say. A lot of people, the biggest problem they have in life right now is phloxenos and nihilopilification. They have decided that God is worthless. Worthless. This is a good evangelism strategy. Hey, have you heard of this word? <laughs> and then tell them it means to decide something is worthless. Hey, do you love God or is he nothing to you? Is he worthless? What did Jesus ask Peter after he restored him? Three times, what did he ask him? Peter, do you? And the third time, Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Do you love him? Is everything you're doing flowing out of love or fear or envy or pride? Is it love? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. You could go part by part. It's meant, to be, it's, meant to, it's meant to mean all of you, everything in your life. Surrender every area of your life to him. But it's somewhat helpful to say emotionally, am I really affectionate toward God? Mentally, am I really staying fixed on his promises? Spiritually, am I fervent for the things that should fire me up? Bodily, am I doing things to actually work and serve other people? Like, am I really loving him in every way possible? And then, the second is like it from Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jot this down. We are becoming a community that loves people with all of God's grace and truth. Loves people with all of God's grace and truth. Uh, hey, 
There is so much hatred in the world right now. So much hatred. And not just on social media with the nasty things people are saying to each other. Emotionally, they hate people. Physically, they, they violently treat people with rage. Did you hear what happened in Buffalo just yesterday? Another supermarket racially motivated shooting. We have a pastor there in Buffalo, Ricky. I texted him. I said, man, I'm heartbroken for your city. He said, we don't know what to do. He said, we were three miles away when it happened. He said, this is our city. Does it bother you? Does it break you to see hatred in the world? And then do you start to ask yourself, what are we going to do about it? Is there hope? Will anything change? Well, it starts when believers understand the power of the love of Jesus Christ. Transform any relationship so that you then become a carrier of the love of Christ and you're bringing that everywhere you go. It is wrong to assume that one church trying to be loving with one another can't make a difference. No, no. That is the only hope we have of transforming the world. We went on a Jeep tour when we were on vacation camping a few years ago and we went to, through these dunes where you could drive a jeep through the dunes and there was a, a guy in the jeep up front and he had the cb and he was talking to us in our jeep and i was trying to drive it and every once in a while you'd see a, a a tree a broken off tree sticking up through this watch out for that tree and it's like why who put trees in dunes and he said i know what you're thinking where did these trees come from he said it used to be a forest he said, this used to be a forest, but then uh, the, you know, the weather came in, killed all of the grass, and then the sand took over. He said, the sand and the dunes moved so much, entire houses on this beach have been swallowed up by the dunes because the dunes have taken over and they're moving. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, turns out the grass holds the hills together. No more grass. That's all it took. The dunes are swallowing everything up. Grass was holding the hills together. Grass gone, dunes take over. Tree's dead. That's such a powerful thought. The grass holds the hills together. Each Christian joining together with other Christians forms a root system, a network system, and the grass holds the hills together. The church is holding together the moral framework of the world. I hope you realize that. And yes, we can make a difference if we gather together in love and we grow in the love of Christ. We love people with all of God's grace and truth. Love your neighbor as yourself. It starts in your heart when you're full of love. It starts in your home when you love your family. Honor your father and mother. Love your siblings. Then that spills over into your church where you learn how to have mature, upright, godly relationships with your church family. Then that spills over into the community and reaches the world. We meet together in small groups as a church, which gives us fellowship opportunities because we can't get through this world alone. We take time to be with each other. Friday night, Lauren and I were invited to go over to a barbecue at a church family's home, and it was great. There were like 20 people there hanging out till late in the night. Great food, just chilling as a church family. That's love. That's love. And we're becoming a community that loves God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that loves people with all of God's grace and truth. Listen, we're becoming that church. We're never going to get all the way there, but by God's grace, we are becoming that church. What are we building? What are we becoming? What's the mission of Anchor Church? Well, listen, to glorify God 
by fulfilling the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. I hope you appreciate the depth of the mission statement we have as a church and our heart to catch the vision God has, the Lord Jesus Christ has for our church. And every year to be doing what we can, all of us together, to becoming that church that God has called us to be. We're far from perfect, but we're godly and we're zealous. We've got a great blueprint and God has done so much already. And we believe that he's got so much more planned for us. But we all have to rally together to catch the vision and commit to the mission. That's where the power comes from. Maybe you're looking for a church to call home. Maybe you're trying to decide if this is the church. I would say this. Do everything you can to figure out if this is your church to call home. And then jump in with both feet. Whenever the time comes where you're saying, okay, okay, the search is over. Get involved. Worship, walk, work, witness. Be a part of the spiritual family. And if you've been here for a while, maybe you've been here for a long while, remember, this is why we're here. This is why we're here. Remember, this is what makes this church special and strong when Jesus shows up. And say, this is what we're going to get back to. This is what we're going to fundamentally make our primary directive. Whatever I'm doing through the week, however I'm involving myself with other people, it's going to be on mission. That's how the world gets changed. I want to close with a few pictures. I saw this picture many years ago, and it, it really shook me because I think it says a lot. Here's a picture of a giant forest fire that has broken out, which to me symbolizes the world. And these people are just sitting there on camp chairs. You see that? And they're just looking, talking. And do you see what's in the foreground there, what's right behind them? Do you see what that is? It's a helicopter. And they're just sitting there. I don't know why. I don't want to judge them. But this, to me, captures a picture of the reality of the world. It's falling into ruin. And people need to be rescued. And for most people, they're doing nothing. For many churches, they're doing nothing. And so then I saw this next picture and I thought, people have to rise up and say, here am I. Send me. I'm going into the fire on a rescue mission. And, and we have to go together as a church. So here's the final picture. This is my hope of when you show up to church and when you go out to work tomorrow, my hope is that you would see a world where people need Jesus. Do you see that? Does it break your heart that they're not going to heaven? And do you gather here so they can find the hope that you have? We've got to go and make disciples. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You came down from heaven with all of God's glory to rescue souls forever and ever and ever and ever. Being a part of your mission is the greatest thing on earth. Lord, it's so easy to get distracted and discouraged, but I pray that you would well up within the hearts of your people a passion for the lost, a passion for new Christians who need to find their way a passion for groups of people who are doing life together. We can so easily lose heart. The world is so dark. 
but the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. Jesus, I pray that you would fill our church again with glory from above. Help us to go and make disciples. May we love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. May we love our neighbor as ourselves. And as you build us up, O oh Lord, may people be filled with joy because of what you're doing. Lord, we ask that you would consecrate us as a church so that we might be set apart for the work you have for us. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with joy as lives are being changed. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.